Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. We sat in an ordination council together uh, for Brother Charles Wesco, who's now with the Lord. He was martyred in Cameroon, Africa, uh, not many days after he arrived there with his family as a missionary. And uh, we didn't know all, all of that then, but that was back in, was that 2019? But uh, in 2014, we went to Granger, Indiana, where the Lord had allowed Brother Andy to plant a church, and we just helped out with that church plant. The Lord has established a friendship since. He's gifted in the area of finances, and particularly uh, in the Lord's work, and just has been a help to, to me, to our church, to other churches. And uh, for the past several years, uh, he has partnered with us to help us um, in our accounting. But I don't want you to look at him as an accountant. What I want you to look at is, is a man who the Lord has called into the ministry um, and has a unique gift that the Lord has used to help edify the church. You know, in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible talks about he gifts the church with certain gifts. And those gifts always edify the church. When they're given to the Lord and when we serve the Lord with them and when we're filled with the Spirit, they edify the church. What's edify? To, to build up. And so the church is built up. And so God uses many different gifts, right? Many different of our gifts. Uh, we're not all ears, eyes, as uh, 1 Corinthians 12 says. We have many different gifts. And God has gifted him in a way that edifies the church and has edified our church. And so I've asked him to come today to share with us biblical principles specifically towards personal finances. And you say, I got it all under control. I'd like to talk to you afterwards. I'd like to hear your secret. But I, I've come today with just this heart that I need to learn too. You know, I, I have things to learn. I have growth to go through. And it is a growth journey. It's not something we just get overnight. God has us on a process of, of growth. And I hope in a year from now that I'm better with the finances God has given to me than I am today. And I hope that for you too. But if we have a heart that many times, you know what I'm talking about, many times we get defensive when we talk about finances. That's not the goal of today. The goal of today is to help. So let's, let's allow our shepherd to help us through his servant that he's brought to us today. And the shepherd wants to help us. And uh, I don't, have you ever heard, you know, what the shepherd will do if you've read the shepherd's look at Psalm 23? Uh, sometimes the shepherd will have to break a leg of, an, of a, a willful sheep in order to carry that sheep around his neck for a period of time to create a bond. Have you ever read that? Read Psalm 23, and also read A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. It's a great book, William Keller. And that, that's poignant, because I've had some times where God's had to break my leg in order to draw me close. And in this area of finances, we, we legitimately, we can go our own way, and then the shepherd has to say, you've not been listening to me, and I want to draw you close in this, and so I'm going to bring a difficulty into your life to get you to come close. Now, maybe you're in that difficulty, and you know what? The shepherd still cares about you right now. And the principles you're going to hear today, he's going to help you with. 
But it all comes down to this, am I going to listen to my shepherd? So I want to listen to my shepherd and invite you to do the same today. And so, Brother Andy, uh, you come and uh, maybe introduce your family a little bit. But praise the Lord. It is. Good morning. I'm glad to be here. I came a short drive over from Frank's house. We actually live in Denver, Colorado, and I grew up in northern Indiana. So I actually spent a time... Pastor Josiah and I didn't know each other, but we spent a bit of time right together in the same town. So I actually spent a lot of years in Winona Lake, Indiana, uh, going to college there and some different things. And uh, the Lord didn't bring us together in 2014. You know, sometimes I think God puts you together at the right time with people, because if I had met him before that, we may not have been friends. We may not have been iron sharpening iron. We, we may have been more like two rocks butting heads or something. Who knows? But uh, like the sheep on the mountains in Colorado hitting their heads together. But uh, I say that with my wife, too. The Lord brought us together, not when we were in high school, not when I was in college, but uh, as I was finishing college, and the Lord brought us together. We went to different colleges, and uh, I joke sometimes that I probably would not have uh, got along with my wife or probably would not have married her had I met her a number of years earlier. So the Lord has worked greatly in timing for so many things. And I truly believe that the Lord worked in the timing for how he brought Brother Josiah, Pastor Josiah and I together to be able to work together in a lot of things. So I have a degree in business and accounting. I crammed four years into eight. It was a tight fit, but I was on the pay-as-you-go program, right? So I had some of my friends, man, they, they were trying to get it done in three years, and they walked away with just a pile of debt, and I had older siblings that did that too, and, and so through, through different circumstances in my life, God has worked to teach me some of the principles I'm going to share with you today, and, uh, but I'm just thankful for Pastor Josiah, for the men here. I'm going to tell you something. I do financial reporting, and I kind of help develop a lot of things, but the real work is done by your, your people here. The men that I've been working with are the ones who are doing the effort to figure out how to make heating costs less or how to get projects done, how to do things. So it's exciting to see not only that, but then also to see what God is doing like through the testimony of the missionary today. You know, it's always exciting to hear what God is doing in people's hearts and in people's lives. So our goal today is to share with you Biblical principles related to finances. I'm going to share with you some of my journey, some of my experience, some of the things I've learned, and, and some of the people that I've learned from, some of the things they've taught me. Not for the sake to make it more difficult for you, but for the sake of helping you to understand the biblical principles that are before us, because I can tell you that God's ways are right. God's ways are right. They're not always the easiest thing to do in the world's eyes, right? But I can tell you that they're always right, and we will always be blessed when we follow his ways. And that's not just in finances, that's in so many ways in our lives. But today we're going to focus on that area of finances. So I'm going to pause, and I'm just going to have a word of prayer to help us to focus on what we're going to hear today. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to come, to look into your word, to see these biblical principles, to apply them to our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help me to communicate the truth of your word, not my wisdom, but yours. Lord, we ask for your wisdom today. You say you abradeth not when we ask. And Lord, we are asking for your wisdom that we might rightly apply the truth of your word, that you might be glorified in us and through us. Lord, we love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, 64% is estimated of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. That's more than half. And 77% of Americans are estimated to feel very anxious about their finances on a regular basis. But did you know the Bible has more to say about money and about possessions than any other topic? In fact, there are over 2,000 Bible verses that talk about our money and possessions. 2,000. And one statistic I read says 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus spoke were about money and possessions. I mean, that's a pretty significant portion of what the Lord told us is related to how we deal with what we have, what he's given us. With so much of the Bible talking about money, you would expect that this would be a topic that would make its way into regularly into sermons and Sunday school lessons of our churches today. But frankly, it usually does not. Why not? Why, if it's so prevalent throughout Scripture, why do we not have it as part of our messages more than we do? Well, money is considered one of the most private topics in our society, society, and it's rarely, frankly, discussed. It can be considered a topic that is of shame at times. It can be considered a topic of guilt or even trying to control people when you talk about money. And churches do not want to be perceived as self-serving as they speak of money. But knowing that the Bible teaches so much about money and that there's so many principles that if we follow them, they lead to contentment. They lead to peace. They lead to freedom in our own lives. The wisdom from the Bible that it presents for us is the why behind our actions. Not simply the what or the how, but the why. And the biblical principles of finances can be applied to anyone in any situation and still be true. These are universal truths that transcend time, transcend culture, and are applicable to every single one of us, no matter where we are. And following these principles is what gives us confidence in our decisions that we make and peace no matter the outcome. Did you catch that? Following the Bible in relation to our finances is what gives us confidence in the decisions that we make and provides peace no matter the outcome. And when you step away from finances for a moment, you think of other decisions you might make in your life. And sometimes when you make a decision that you know is right and according to the Bible, is it always a pleasant, enjoyable, as it were, outcome that comes from doing what is right? Sometimes there's a cost to doing what is right, isn't there? But you know what? I still have confidence and peace because I know it's what God would have me to do. Now, today we're going to look at some biblical principles of finances, and you have to come back tonight to get the other half of it, because for the sake of time, I really can only share with you some of them this morning. So we're going to look at the first two. I'll have three more this evening. But I'm going to share with you that, that particularly, I gather, I'm pulling a lot of my information from a man by the name of Ron Blue. He wrote a book in 1986, 1986 called um, Mastering Your Finances. And I have a copy out on the table. I didn't bring copies for you to get, but you can buy these on Amazon. Uh, and, and he wrote a book, and, and some of the principles that I'm going to do today are, are from him. I have to give credit to the fact that he's not the first one to write them. Why? Because they're in Scripture. 
but he's the person who I uh, read his book and really had a huge impact on me. It was a required reading my freshman year of college, the fall of 1990, and my decision to go to college on the pay-as-you-go program was cemented in place as these biblical principles penetrated my heart. So the first thing we're going to look at today, though, as a way of introduction, is your first blank, if you have that out of your bulletin, is that every spending decision, every spending decision is a spiritual decision. Did you catch that? Every spending decision is a spiritual decision. You see, the question is this, does your money control you or are you controlling your money? It's kind of like, are you riding the horse or is a horse taking you for a ride, right? That's how you feel sometimes with your finances. Sometimes your, your money's taking you for a ride is how it feels. And instead, we need to learn, like a rider on a horse, how to grab the reins and actually then control and direct where we're going. And I can tell you, there's been times in my life I felt like I'm sitting on a horse and I do not have control of those reins. And my finances are taking me where I don't want to go. However, if I follow these biblical principles, we can learn to get that in the right way. Now, there's five stages of your financial journey, and all of us are somewhere in one of these five journeys, as Ron has defined them. The first one is struggling, and that is not able to make ends meet, okay? We've all been there. It's where you're really struggling financially. The next step in the journey is surviving. You're living paycheck to paycheck. The third is stable. You're able to save some money to start putting it away for emergencies. So you move from struggling, surviving to stable. And then once you're stable and you're able to start saving some money, you're at a point where there's financial security, where you're able to save for some long-term goals. Maybe you're putting money into retirement. You're saving money for your next car. You're setting goals. Maybe you want to go on a missions trip yourself or some trip and you're saving for that. And that's the, a little bit more financial security. And the last one is what we call a surplus, having more than enough. I'm gonna tell you that it's very interesting when you look at this journey that you're on, sometimes it's not about how much you have, but what you do with it. When you think about that, you can move along these areas and God really is intended for us to be able to give to him, we're going to talk about that more tonight, uh, be able to give to him out of what he has given to us. And the reality of that is that when we don't have control of those horse reins, as it were, it's very difficult for us to give to him. Not only give to him a tithe, but give to him an offering, give him more and help when the needs come up. One of the best things that's been a blessing in my life is when somebody I see has a need and the Lord enables me to meet that person. There was one church I was at, and it wasn't even my finances. This was, I loved being in this position. There was a church I was the administrative pastor at, and there would be somebody in the church that had a need, and uh, somebody else would come into the church, and the church would come up to me and say, hey, I know that person, I, I was talking with them, and, and their child's bed frame broke, and they've got it sitting on the floor. Here's $200. Can you take them to the store and buy them a new bed frame? Yeah, I can do that. I mean, hey, this is fun, right? The most incredible story I have related to that was there was a missionary who was home from Romania. He was a missionary, and he was staying in the mission house at the church where I was on staff at the time. And, you know, mission houses sometimes get secondhand furniture, don't they? And uh, there was a chair in their recliner chair, uh, one of those lazy boy chairs. And when you went to recline back, it kept on going back. 
and you would end up laying on your back on the floor. And so you had to be careful that when you sat in it, you didn't lean back too far. Well, little did I know that uh, I, I didn't realize that was actually the case, but somebody called me and said, hey, Andy, I have a chair that I like to donate to your church because I'm buying a new one. Now, this chair worked, okay? I knew the one in the mission house didn't work. And so I said, sure, I'll pick that up on Saturday morning. I'll come to your house with my vehicle. I'll pick it up, take it to the mission house. I got to the mission house that morning, and there I am unloading this chair, and the missionary just kept saying, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I'm like, it's a chair. A guy gave a chair. I'm giving you a chair. He goes, no, no, no. Let me explain to you. I have been living in this house for a week, maybe two. I can't remember exactly what he said. But I prayed just last night, Friday night, and I said, God, I really miss my blue Lazy Boy recliner that I used to have in Ohio before I went to the mission field in Romania. Do you know what I brought to him? You can say it. A blue Lazy Boy recliner chair that was the exact same model that he had before he went to the mission field. The guy had called me like on Tuesday. I had no idea. God was making the way and providing to meet his need. And he could have gone out and just bought a chair, put it, financed it, whatever. But God had a better way that he would be glorified through meeting that need that he had. Now, he uh, went through cancer treatment. He is back serving the Lord full time. Praise the Lord for him. But what an incredible testimony as we look at that. And we're going to look at how sometimes God meets needs that we have in unexpected ways. And sometimes when we think of our finances, God gets very creative in ways, in my mind, creative, but they're ways that are better at bringing him the glory. I can tell you one church I was at, I was on staff, and we were talking about doing certain projects. And I said, you know what, hey, we want to get some AEDs in our church. And I said, well, let's, let's, let's see what God does. We could just spend it out of the budget. But I put it out there and I said, Let, let's ask people to give. And there was a lady, she, she came up. She said, well, I've been kind of praying about, you know, what the Lord wants me to do with my giving and stuff. She said, I can't remember if it was her dad or her husband. But we put it out there and we said, hey, here's this money that we need. It was like 1300 or something like that for an AED. We wanted two of them. And she came up after the service and handed me a check to pay for one of them. She said, I lost, I can't remember if it was her dad or her husband, in a public place. And they had said if they had an AED there, he probably would have survived. And I don't want anybody else to go through that. She said, by the way, this is a month of my salary. But I've been saving, and I can give it, and that's okay. And I was like, wow. She's been saving to give away a month of her salary so that she, that, that she could buy that for the church, what the church needed to have or wanted to have. And now they later passed, you know, they had a gym and you had to have one. But isn't it amazing how God sometimes just does it straight up through giving money and sometimes he does it through other people. And, and there's just a variety of ways. And in both of those circumstances, I'm going to tell you that the ultimate deal there was that God received great amount of glory and how that need was met. I'm going to share with you, there's five things we're going to look at. The, the first thing this morning we're going to look at is that we need to learn to spend less than we earn. 
Now, that may sound simple, right? That may sound simple, but it's a little more difficult than it sounds in our society, isn't it? Spending less than you earn. We're also going to look at avoiding the use of debt, building margin, that is savings, setting long-term goals, and giving generously. But we're going to focus for a few minutes on spending less than you earn. Proverbs 21, verse 20. This is an interesting verse when you think about those that are wise and foolish. As it's giving contrast, it says, There is a treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man, what? spendeth it up. He's spending all that he has. And Ecclesiastes 5.10 also says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This also is vanity. We understand basically we can never make enough to be satisfied. And you have to make the decision and then fight to spend less than you earn. Or it will never happen. We talked in Sunday school a little bit about having predetermined decisions, okay? You know, when you send us men to the grocery store to get groceries, oh, you're laughing, you know where I'm going. We often come home with some things that are not on the list, right? Stick to the list, all right? Why? If you have the list, you know what you need, you buy it, you don't come home with a bunch of extra. Okay, I see a lot of men smiling. I think you have the same problem I do, right? Oh, what's that? Aisle six. No, I'm on aisle five. Look what they have now, you know, right? So we come home with extras, all right? But having those predetermined lists, those predetermined decisions and sticking with it. Now, there's this consumerism in our society, and we have this idea of buy now, pay later mentality. Everywhere you go, everything can be financed. Your phone, smartphone, your furniture, everything can be financed, there's this buy now, pay later mentality. I refer to this as our fast food mentality. We want it now, and that's why most of our homes now have microwaves and air fryers too, because we find, always find ways to do things quicker. Not that I'm against convenience, but I'm telling you that we always are trying to get things quicker and do it now and right now. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's better for you, does it? I don't know, Hot Pockets may not be the best nutrition for my lunch today, but boy, they come out of the microwave quick, right? They're convenient. So we have to understand that convenience doesn't always necessarily mean that it's better for you. Now, there's some things that will fall in that category that maybe they're good for you. I'm not going to get into the weeds on that and argue the details of that, but we realize that our society pushes that on us so much today. And this principle, though, is foundational, spending less than you earn. And if you don't buy into the idea of spending less than you earn, what's the alternative? You spend more than you earn. Where does that get you? Well, pretty soon it gets you pretty far in debt, isn't it? This may sound silly, but to spend less than you earn, you actually have to know how much you make, too. And one of the things I find so often, I'm not a financial planner. I'll give that as a disqualifier right away. I'm, a, I'm an ordained pastor with uh, education and finances and experience in a lot of different areas with, with churches and nonprofits with finances. But when people come to me and want to talk about finances, I always ask the first question, well, how much do you make? More than half the time I get, I don't know. Seriously. Could you right now, write down on the paper in front of you how much you make on an annual basis? Some of you, maybe you can, you can't. 
But the number one under, way to understand how can I spend less than I earn, you have to know how much you are making. And the first part of making uh, a budget then is, well, how much do I have coming in, going out? You know, like you, you have to know inflow and outflow to be able to get to the idea of how am I spending less than I earn. Well, you know, the first thing you do is you figure out how much you make. And the very first thing we take off the top, and again, I'm, there's going to be a number of things I'm going to introduce today. For the sake of time, I can't really get down into them. So on the table out there's resources with some books and different things you can read to get into some more details like ideas on how to budget and things like that. Great ideas on the resource table out there. And there's a sheet you can pick up that lists books and different things you can get into. Please do that. But what's the first thing you do? First thing you do when you, uh, when you see how much you make and you say, okay, what am I going to spend my money on? What's the first thing that's there, right? Groceries? No. Okay. Tithe? 10%. Now, it's interesting, though, that we, we, we say that, but do we really live that all the time? Do we really practice that? You know, and I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But uh, first we tie, then we save, and, and, and you see, we have, then we make this spending plan for everything else. You've got fixed items, like, you know, you've got to pay your rent or your mortgage every month. You've got utilities. Maybe you're on a fixed utility uh, payment. Maybe you're a variable. But those things, you know, you're going to have a huge dramatic change in your life if you don't pay your mortgage, Right? You know, it's a pretty big dramatic change in your life. You don't pay your electric bill and the electric gets cut off, right? So those are kind of your fixed ones, your tithing, savings, fixed one. But we have a tendency to just flip that on its head, right? And we put the tithing and the savings down on the bottom. So the biblical principle that we look at is spending less than you earn is figuring out how much I make and then making a plan for it. And you know, most people try to attack their plan when they figure out how much they earn and what they're spending. What do you think the first step they do is? They try to attack it by focusing on, oh, I just need to make more money. You know what happens when people make more money? They spend more. Why? Because they haven't addressed the issue of spending. We have a tendency, especially in our society, to do that. And, and many people think the problem is that they're not earning enough and they throw themselves more heavily into working and sacrificing other biblical principles on the altar of making more money. Let me tell you though, there's a lot of people that didn't learn this principle. They had to go through some hard times like a lot of us have to go through. I've had some times financially that were hard. And we learn through those hard times, right? Well, let me tell you a few people. This isn't on your handout, but here are some people that may surprise you that they've actually had to file bankruptcy in their life. Did you know that Abraham Lincoln went through it was pre-bankruptcy law, but a type of bankruptcy in 1833, even before the bankruptcy code existed. Henry Ford, this is probably more familiar to, to you, he was terrible with money, and early in his company history, he filed for bankruptcy in 1901. And it wasn't until then he got some other people involved in the business that helped him to manage some of that. But then also there's one not too far from here, um, uh, a place called Hershey, Pennsylvania. It's named after Milton Hershey. He actually started four different candy companies that all failed before the company you know today was the fifth time he tried that he succeeded. Someone else that we know of very much in our society is Walt Disney filed for bankruptcy in 1923 when investors pulled out of his company. And the next year, he and his brother started the Disney Brothers Cartoon Studios, which we know today as the Walt Disney Empire. Uh, he even had to file for bankruptcy. 
In fact, Dave Ramsey, one of the other financial people that was very well known for his advice, he actually had to file for bankruptcy before learning many of the lessons that he shares today through his Financial Peace University. How about how many of you have ever used Heinz ketchup? Okay. Henry Heinz, who started Heinz Food, had to file for bankruptcy in 1875 after a bumper crop forced the, the cost of everything so low that he could not afford to pay his workers because his, he was raising crops and the, he lost money on that. You see, these people made a lot of money, but they had to learn through some difficulties in their life that they had to spend less than they earned before they became successful with their finances. And this is one of the basic principles we looked at. We looked at the passage already where it says the fool spends it all up. And I, I'm not, don't take it wrongly, but I'm saying I have been a fool. I have spent everything I have at times. And then I've had to learn through hard knocks like some of these people. The next point on the PowerPoint is every spending decision, which I've already said, is a spiritual decision. And we understand that every decision we make is spiritual, well, we tend to live in the reality that we owe God 10%, that a portion of what I have is his, and that we get to do what we want with the rest. And that's sometimes what we kind of hear taught, but that's not the truth. You know, God owns everything, doesn't he? God owns it all, and we tend to live in that idea of that, well, that's God's and this is mine. And maybe our personal finances are in trouble because we have put the name of Jesus on our lips, but we aren't really honoring him with our finances. Boy, that hits my heart pretty hard because I think about every spending decision. You know, wherever I'm going and buying, I like to, I'll, I'll confess, I like the McDonald's tea. Half and half, though. I'm not a southern boy, so it can't be too sweet. Half unsweet. But when I buy that tea, is that a spiritual decision or not? Whatever food I'm buying, that, that's a spiritual decision. Yes, it is. And so uh, as we think about this, we need to think of it rightly with our finances. It would be like we pray to God to heal us from our sickness. Lord, help my finances. But then we drink poison, right? Help me to feel better and we drink poison. Help my finances, but we don't honor him with it and follow his principles. You see, we must be willing to change our behavior we must be willing to change our behavior. We must be willing to spend less than we earn. This is a behavioral change. It's a, it's a practice within our daily life. Why is it so hard to do to spend less than you earn? Well, let me tell you, in a world that is all about having more, we are trying to learn to spend less. It's countercultural. This is literally against our culture. The, the idea here is we are living different than the world, you know, uh, it's, you need a new car, what do you do? Finance it. Zero percent financing on a new car. I don't know if they're still doing that today. Some, they've done it off and on through times, right? You see it? Buy that new car, zero financing. Finance your furniture, finance whatever, everywhere you go. However, listen carefully to this. According to a recent study, about 5% of the U.S., Gross domestic product each year is spent on advertising. 5% of our GDP on financing. That's more than a trillion dollars that is spent every year, recently years, in order with one goal in mind to make you feel like what you have now is not enough. 
that you are missing out on something and that the solution is to buy whatever product is being advertised to you. One trillion dollars. I'm just, in my mind, I can't imagine a trillion dollars, but I'm thinking, could you imagine what we could do with a trillion dollars if it wasn't spent on advertising, right? But listen to this carefully. God has called his children to live in contentment. But we, in our society, we're spending $1 trillion to tell you that you're not content and this is what you need to be content. Our society is doing everything to make sure this doesn't happen. And if we live by the values that are around us, we will not be content no matter how much we have. There will always be someone who has more. There will always be something new. There's always a new standard by which we are measured. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6, 8, And having food and raiments, let us therewith be what? Contents. Boy, that's a tough one. I shared in Sunday school about a little boy that was happy in Brazil, and all he had was a pair of shorts when I was there. No shoes, no shirt. Just a pair of shorts. He was the happiest kid I think I've ever met in the world. Came and played soccer with us when we were there on a missions trip. He didn't care about his clothes. He had a pair of shorts. We were so glad when he got a new pair uh, before we left. They were so tattered and worn, and somewhere he got a new pair. But a little kid, happiest kid I've ever seen. He was content. Taught me something. I said, what is it that would make me content? Is it my sixth, seventh, eighth suit? This kid only has a pair of shorts. The principle is about being content with what God has given you. Philippians 4, 11 through 13, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased. I know how to abound and everywhere in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. We quote that last verse so often, but we have to realize that the focus of this passage is on contentment. Which so often we miss. I can abound, I can be abased, I can be full, I can be hungry through Christ who strengthens me. You see, no matter what situation we're in, we have to predetermine to choose to be content and we have to make that decision right here and right now. No matter what situation is going to happen tomorrow, am I choosing to be content? Because is God in control? Yeah. Is God the giver of all good things? Yeah. Am I going to be content with what he gives me? You see, there are some things we need to learn to be content. To be content, excuse me, to be content, I must learn, first of all, to be grateful. To, without gratefulness, I can become discontent, passive, complacent. I'm not grateful for what I have. Now, it's very interesting if you do ever travel to different parts of the world, like your pastor recently has, sometimes they put food in front of you that you may not be very grateful for. It may have some things in it that you don't want to ask what it is. You know, maybe they give you a small portion. Maybe they give you a large portion. He can share some stories with you about that. Maybe they give you a wrong color shirt. You know, maybe you wanted a blue one and you got a red one instead. 
Are you content with what God has given you? Are you grateful for what God has given you? Not only are you like, okay, I'll take it, but are you able to say, thank you, Lord, for what you have given me? The attitude of gratefulness is expressed through thankfulness. Number two, we need to celebrate. You know, when other people are blessed, do you celebrate when others are blessed? I mean, this is kind of hard. Why did he get that and not me? We have that attitude at times. I know I do. The reality is, though, that we need to celebrate when other people are blessed. Why? Because without this, we get caught in comparison and, and being competitive with other people that we shouldn't be competitive with. Right? So I look at another pastor uh, at another church, and I might say, well, man, they've got 300 people. We've only got 100 people. Or, or they've got 800. We've got 200. And we start comparing that. Or, oh, wow, look what they did and what they do. No, celebrate what God is doing not only in your church and in your life, but in other individuals' lives and other churches. Third, we need to honor God that is following his principles. Are we following his principles with our finances and honoring him? Because when we don't, we are dishonoring him. Now, that's the first point, is the idea of spending less than you earn, honoring him. And, and again, for the sake of time, we could actually spend weeks talking about this. But the idea is understanding how much do you make, giving God your 10%, and, and we'll talk a little bit more uh, tonight about, about how that breaks down. I put that in lesson for tonight, some priorities in your spending to try to help you as well. But the second thing is avoid the use of debt. You know, this is one of the things that I, I if you hear my testimony about going to college on the pay as go program, you realize that I wanted to avoid it. I wanted to avoid the debt, why? We, because I knew then I had to pay it off, right? So sometimes that leads to a different decision in my life. So, you know, I'd really, really like to drive that, you know, 2024 Acura Integra that they just brought back. But I have to look at my finances and say, has God given me? How do I honor God with that? Now, maybe God's blessed you with enough money and that's appropriate for you. Everybody's at a different level. Everybody's got a different amount. But when I look at my finances, the brand new 2024 Acura Integra doesn't fit into what God has given me. That's okay. Am I content with God's given me? Am I content with the 2003 Honda Civic I'm driving? Yeah, I'm okay with that. But the reality is, is I could sit here and say, all right, what has God given me? Where am I at? And, and I could end up putting myself in a situation where it'd be very difficult for me financially. One of the things that I had on my heart early on was that the Lord might be leading me into foreign missions. And I didn't want to have debt that would inhibit me from serving the Lord on the mission field. And there's, there's, I couldn't find a mission agency that if I went to them with a bunch of school debt that they would let me go to the mission field. They, they said, if you're going to go to the mission field, you have to be debt free. I thought there was a lot of wisdom in that. And I said, okay, so, so how do I stay debt free? Well, I, I had to work at it. It was against culture. So to avoid the use of debt, we must learn three things. Number one, not to be impulsive, right? Because you can walk into any store, be impulsive, and sign a little piece of paper and be in debt in about five minutes, right? I mean, that's the truth of it. Number two, you have to be patient. In other words, you don't always get what you want when you want it, right? You might have to wait a little bit to get it. And, you know, that's one of the best things you could probably ever teach your children is teach them to learn to be patient when it comes to finances. You know, my children, they, you know, they, they get, uh, you know, uh, they, they get commission 
for doing jobs and chores around the house. And uh, they get so much money that we gave them as they were raising, uh, we, we were raising them. They're now 14 and 18. And we got to a point where we said, you know what? All right, now here's your money. Do you have enough to spend it? And they would save their money and buy the things they wanted. Now, it's interesting to watch different kids. Some kids, I'm telling you, they get those dollars in their pocket and they want to spend it yesterday, right? <laughs> and it's a challenge. Other kids, it's like, man, I've saved my allowance for two years and I'm going to buy this, you know. Like, they will not spend it for anything. But we need to treat them and teach them these habits. So impulsive, don't, you know, be patient. And third, you got to protect what you saved. Like that second child I mentioned today, protect your savings, is the idea that, hey, listen, I've got it there because I have something in mind to use that down the road. you got to protect it because you walk into a store, and, man, you're going to spend it quicker than ever. You know, us men, we walk down aisle five, and, man, there's those chips, I'm telling you. But you got to protect it, right? Remember, go back to Proverbs 22, 7. It says, the rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to who? The lender. Now, there's a lot of people that have a little varying idea on when to use debt and not. But I took that principle of the idea, if God wanted me to go to the mission field, could I go to the mission field in a very short order? And when I think of that, it, it really led me to the idea of, okay, so like I have a house that's growing in value. I can't pay for a full house right now. Put some money down on it. If God wanted me to go to the mission field, I could sell my house, especially in Denver, a house to sell like in days. Uh, you know, you could sell your house and, uh, and I, I could be on the mission field in very short order. But if I have a whole bunch of college debt that I'd have to work to pay off, I don't have anything to offset it. I'm like, I can't, that's hard for me because that's going to keep me from maybe doing what God might call me to do on the mission field or even here at home. You know, I had to look at that and really take a hard look at myself and evaluate where could I use and not use any sort of borrowing. You know, there's some people that will also say never, ever use a credit card. And so they tell you to use a debit card that's tied to your bank account. Well, after watching a couple of friends get their debit card stolen, their entire checking account cleaned out, I changed my personal approach because I'm able to do this. You have to figure your own abilities. I use a credit card and pay it off every month because then my card, it gets stolen about every couple years and a bunch of charges on my card, boom, they're gone. Nobody touched my bank account. And there's different approaches that might be appropriate for you. But the most important thing is if God's calling you to do something, can you go and do it? And are you protecting your savings? Are you avoiding the use of debt? Because it's counterculture to do that. We know that we like... We, we know what we like, and we like what we know, you know. You know what you like, you like what you know. So we have to change what we know, and that changes what we like. So in other words, we're in this society. We all the time are around this idea of, of borrowing and everything. And so that becomes normal for us, you know. But that's true, actually, with like things that you eat, too. They say you have to offer food to kids a whole bunch of times before they actually don't like it. I don't, I don't remember, some really high number. But you have to change what you know in this concept of borrowing too and get yourself over here with the idea of, well, I know I have to save for it and then I can get it. And you've got to change that mentality. It's true in finances and many other areas. And, and only as we look back do we realize that some of our decisions that we made were dumb. You know, we look back, it's, it, his, hindsight's what, 2020. You know, let me give you some examples. If I pulled up, I didn't bring it. 
If I pulled up and put an example of a picture of me in high school, what would my hair look like, right? This big old hair feather thing, right? Some of you are smiling. Think about your high school hair. What would it look like? What did you wear? Anybody else in here wear parachute pants when they were popular? Oh, come on. I, I got a couple. All right. You know, and we're thinking, what were we thinking? Right. I remember I grew up in the 80s. And do you guys remember there was this hairstyle that they Aquanet? Do you guys know Aquanet? They would take their bangs and they'd go like this and have a little curl on top. Yeah. OK. I mean, you know, right. Spraying it. What were we thinking? I worked at a roller skating rink in high school and the guys would go around with coins and they, the girls would be going by they'd be like, try to get them stuck in their hair, you know. Then they'd be on the roller skating ring. Kids would be tripping over. I had to like get after these guys. I'll stop it. The girls would be running to the run into the bathroom. Oh, I gotta fix this hole in my hair. You know, sticking way up. What were we thinking, right? Well, sometimes we have financial decisions in our life. We look back and we say, "What on earth were we thinking?" You know, I mean, there's things like, okay, sorry if you wear them, but I look at Crocs and I'm like, "What? What are those?" You get a Taco Bell branded set of Crocs. I mean. What are we thinking sometimes with stuff that we wear? So, uh, you know, as a kid, I, I, I was embarrassed. I would go to church. Sorry, if you wear Crocs, it's, it's not for me. It's for you, all right? Um, and if you wear Taco Bell Crocs, my son wants to talk to you because he loves Taco Bell. And <laughs> he almost bought one, and I was like, what were you thinking? Those things are like 150 bucks for a set of Crocs. Anyway. So uh, when I was a kid and I would go to church, I was, I was an all boy, play all over, right? My mom, had, did any of you have those iron-on like patches? They were, and my mom would buy them in multiple colors because every Sunday almost I put a hole in my pants and Sunday afternoon my mom would be ironing on that patch on my knee. So all my dress pants had that patch on the knee, right? Well now what do we do? We pay extra to have holes ripped in our clothes. <laughs> I sit here like, what are we thinking sometimes? And if you have hair, if you have torn clothes, you know, I'm just saying for my generation, it's like we, we didn't want to do that. And I'm like, I look at that and I'm like, why do we do some of these things? They're fads that happen for a short period of time. And we pay extra for some of these things like Taco Bell Crocs. I, I, I'm going to live on that one for a while. We pay extra money for these things that are fads, but are we doing those things? And, and instead of honoring God with the right order of things, we're buying into these things, and, and we're even sometimes going into debt, and debt without discussion is something that we look back on oftentimes without thought, and we realize it was stupid. Could you imagine somebody financing, okay, I'm going to say it again, Taco Bell Crocs, putting on the buy now, pay later, right? But you know, the reality is that some people do. And we all need encouragement to live differently than our society and what we're bombarded with continuously. Culture has redefined what it means to be able to afford something. When you look throughout Scripture, how is it that God provided for a need? How did God provide for a need for individuals in Scripture? He provided for it. You know, the thing that really hits me hard is, is God provides. He doesn't provide through debt. And I'm going to say that kind of as a generality, not a specific thing, but sometimes we look at our society and, and we get caught in this idea that, well, God provides for me to have what I need through debt. And I was like, no, no, let God show you his glory through providing things like a, a chair when that missionary could have gone and bought a new one and financed it. But God got greater glory than ever through me showing up Saturday morning with a blue chair that didn't cost him anything, it was the exact model that he used to have. 
And sometimes we miss out on seeing the glory of God happening in our life and through us because we don't wait. We don't wait on Him. But the problem is in our society, we have greed everywhere. And I'm going to tell you that greed masks need. Now, I'm going to define that a little bit for you. You see, once we see, say that this is a need, right? I need those Taco Bell Crocs. <laughs> so my son said. We had a long discussion about that one. Um, but he said, I need this, right? I need this. I need this. And what he was really saying is, I greed this. Because once we say we need it, now we've justified that spending. Francis of Assisi said this, and I find this interesting. Man has confessed every sin to me except for greed. You see, greed is hard to identify because what others have that we don't have is always put right in front of us. It's there on social media. It's there in advertising everywhere you look. I mean, you can't even do a search on the internet without a bunch of ads popping up. And that's usually based on whatever your browser history is. And they're just getting in your face as much as they can with it, right? I'm going to give you an illustration of how greed took over one boy. There's a story of a 17-year-old Chinese boy a few years ago. He's a teenager. And he went on the black market and he sold a kidney. When his mom came home and found him not doing very well and trying to recover from having sold his kidney, he wasn't in very good shape because it wasn't, it was on the black market, right? Those aren't very good type of surgeries. He simply explained to his mom that he sold his kidney because he needed a tablet and a phone. The Bible talks more about money than anything, any other single subject. And it's not because God cares about money that much. It's because we do. It's because it's what's in our heart. And the way we feel about money is in a direct expression of our faith. That's the next blank on there. It's, the it's a direct expression of our faith. Listen to tw Luke 12, 13 through 15. And it says this, And of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that, that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, uh, unto him, Man, who made me judge or divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not of the abundance. There it is. Listen, it doesn't consist of the abundance of things which he possesseth. The life does not consist with the things that you own the things that you have. And in that context, in chapter 12, Jesus is talking to thousands of people and is teaching them to be on guard. He's telling them to, to live for larger things than their material wealth. In the midst of the sermon, the guy interrupts him and asks this question. And, and he's like, hey, confront my brother. And Jesus said, listen, your life doesn't consist of what you have. It's much easier to see greed in others, though, than in ourselves. We can always see things in others, can't we? You know, the there's so many dangers in debt, but there's three things to protect to help us to avoid debt, and that's to protect from impulse, like we said, and protect from impatience, and protect your savings. Impulse, patience, savings. I'm saying it again for you because I want to emphasize this because this is where so many of us fall into a really difficult time. And I'm going to camp on this for about one minute and then we're coming to our conclusion of applying these things to our lives.
You see, because we can get ourselves in debt and it can keep us from doing what God has called us to do. And it can keep us from allowing God to be glorified in a way that he would otherwise. Let me give you an example of your budget, though. We'll talk a little bit more later about it tonight. 10, 10, 80. Write that down. 10, 10, 80. Simple start to your budget. First 10% goes where? You said it earlier. Second 10% goes to Starbucks? No. Savings. You're with me. You're tracking. And the other 80% is for everything that's left. You know what we so often do, though? We flip that around. I met a man one time, though, that said, I make too much to tithe. When he didn't make very much, he was very faithful at tithing, and he started making a little more, and he was faithful at tithing. And at one point, he got to this point where he said, man, that's a lot of money that I have to give to God because I'm making a lot of money. And he stopped tithing, and I said to him, I said, you know what? Can imagine what God could do through you if you actually obeyed him and tithe. Imagine the missionaries that could be supported. Imagine the, the outreach that could be made, all these things. And he said, but I just can't do it. And I said, I, I'm sorry, I'll be here when God takes you through a learning process. And I don't know where that means today. I, I lost contact with him, but I can imagine that God at some point, you know, the Bible says we, we can't rob God. Don't rob God of what is his. And the reality is, is we look at these things and we have to protect our, our, ourselves against debt because why? It, it can keep us from doing what God would have us to do. It keep us from allowing his glory to be shown in a way that it otherwise would. Now, these are just two of the five principles that we are looking at. There's three more tonight. I hope you make it back tonight for that. But I'm going to tell you this. We're all at different stages in that journey. We talked about struggling all the way to surplus, right? Just like gaining weight, though, it doesn't take any effort, does it? All of a sudden, my pants get a little tight. <laughs> How'd that happen? You know, but losing weight takes a lot of work, doesn't it? Getting your finances in order, getting them where God would have you to have them, it takes work, it takes commitment, it takes time. And if you, Pastor, has mentioned that if you want to meet with me, I'm not a financial advisor, but I, I'd love to just sit down and talk through some of these principles with you and say where you're at, no judgment. I don't care where you're at, struggling to surplus. I'd love to talk with you and share with you these and maybe help you find a, help you to see if we can set out some way for you to, to move forward and, and things and to be able to get through things. And you know what? It's going to probably be somebody being like that coach at a gym. Come on, you can keep going. Don't stop now. Two more minutes and you've met your goal. And I would be happy to be that person cheering you on in the financial side. I can't be there in the grocery store to slap your hand on all five though. Sorry, guys. But you see, these biblical principles need to be a part of our life. Just like cheating on your diet, though, we have a tendency, we'll go away from here, and we'll want to cheat on our financial plan, those predetermined decisions. What is a diet? A diet is a set of predetermined rules of what I can and cannot eat and how much and when. And on our finances, a budget comes in the same way. And just like cheating on our diet, we can cheat on our, on our budget, on our plan, on these predetermined things. But God has laid out these principles, and we need to apply them to our life. Before I close, the last thing I want to share with you is that there is a debt that all of us have that's greater than any financial debt we'll ever have. That debt is what we have in the fact that we have sinned. And we have a debt 
we owe for our sin. The Bible says all of sin comes short of the glory of God. But you know what? The Bible also says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You know, you think of something as, as great and as hopeless as I can never earn my way to heaven. The Bible says we can't. Not by works of righteousness we have done. According to his mercy, he saved us. I'm going to tell you that if you don't have that in your life today, these biblical principles are secondary to that. You need to first deal with your debt of sin. Accept the free gift of Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And then work on these biblical principles in your life. Are you spending less than you earn? Are you avoiding the use of debt? Are you honoring God with your finances? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for doing for us what we can never do for ourselves and providing a payment for our, the debt of our sin. And I pray that you would help us as we go from here to take and apply these principles not only to our our life in, in the sense of sin, but also to our finances, so that we can give you the glory, Lord, not for ourselves, but for your glory, that others might be drawn to you because of it, and even in spite of us, where the case may be. Lord, we love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.